The other point that I made is the kind of why should we do something if China and India won't argument gets India. It's it's based on the idea that climate action is a sacrifice, and that's not true. Yes, so right. Yeah, climate action can improve economies, help our health, help justice, help security, um, and just make our lives better if we do it in a smart way. Uh, There's tons of solutions like solar, wind, nuclear, uh, better public transit, more efficient shipping, more efficient buildings, more efficient appliances, uh, curbing fluorinated gas emissions. These are things that save money as compared to the alternative. Hi, everyone. This is Diane Gilman, formerly the Queen of Jeans, but now the proud host of my podcast, Too Young to Be Old. And today we have an expert in something that drives me nuts all the time because I have climate anxiety. You know, they call me DD, but it's not a good title because it stands for Doomsday Diane. I am so into the doomsday mode of climate change. I have anxiety about it constantly. I have no idea how an individual can have a solution, but we have someone today, Ethan Brown, who is not only an expert on climate change, but also the host of his own podcast about climate change and climate anxiety, Sweaty Penguin. And we'll get some sort of logical reasoning for that title shortly. Ethan, Mr. Brown, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Diane. Okay, you know what, Ethan, and thank you for dressing up too. Your bow tie is so cute. The first question, which I think is going to set the tone, is so many people are confused between climate change and the weather. For instance, if I go to talk to half the people I know today about climate change, they're going to say, what are you talking about, Diane? It's five degrees out in New York. There's snow on the ground. Yeah, snow for the first time in 700 days, but there's snow. Ethan, just give us a brief history of the world and the difference between climate change and weather patterns. So weather is about temperature and precipitation trends that happen over an hour or a day or maybe a week, whereas climate is referring to years, decades, centuries of trends. So we think of, uh, say, the Sahara Desert has a warm, dry climate. That doesn't mean it's the same every single day or every single hour, but we know that overall it's going to have that climate. So even though climate is this larger time span, it's actually a lot easier to predict climates than to predict weather. We see meteorologists get weather wrong all the time, but climate, we know uh, about what climate we live in. And so that makes it a little easier to see trends like climate change. And even though there are going to be hot days and cold days and we can get more into why that is, uh, we know that the climate overall is warming. So, you know, 
I feel like because I'm almost 80 years old, when I was born, climate was not an issue. My family moved from northern Maine to California because it was gentle and sunny and temperate. And now you think of California and you think of mudslides and deluges of rain and freaky snowstorms and all and wildfires and everything to me seems so hostile. So I'm going to say that I just heard 25% of the earth is in extreme drought. John Kerry, who was the ambassador for climate change, just gave up his role and walked off the job. And I hate to say it, but I have a real hard time taking people seriously that they're thinking of climate change as an issue when the country or the region hosting the climate change talks is a region that is 100% dependent on fossil fuel. Now, your podcast, Sweaty Penguin, kind of sees the humor in this all. You know, for, for late night hosts and for you, Ethan Brown, I can see the absurdity which leads to humor for an oil producing country hosting climate change. What are your thoughts on this? It was an interesting place to host a climate <laughs> conference, to say the and least. It's being and it's again next year. Now, yeah, Again, next next year it will, next year it will be in Azerbaijan um but yeah the uh the bigger question with this conference was less where and more the president of the conference was the CEO of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company yeah. uh, to to be fair to him he's also been one of the like people spearheading renewable energy in the United Arab Emirates and his what he was saying in the lead up to the conference was he knows the fossil fuel world. He also cares about climate and he can be the person to bring everybody into a room and get something done. Did that happen? A little bit. The entire <laughs> world signed on to a declaration that agreed to a transition away from fossil fuels, which is the first time that every single country uh, agreed to something that had that phrasing which is a big deal yeah Sorry, but, you know to me everything is about manana kicking the can down the road like oh yeah in 2050 we will have reduced emissions by 10 percent, and most of these guys are not even going to be around or in governance in 2050 i yeah. think a lot of society, especially in America, where we now see airline travel disrupted, business disrupted, and, you know, cities, including New York City, facing these huge multi-billion dollar bills for insane weather patterns. And we keep thinking, okay, it's a very political year this year, obviously, I don't see either side talking about it like, okay, you want to talk about not mentioning names, someone's laptop 
but you don't want to talk about the fact that the earth is burning up. It drives me nuts. And yet I also, Ethan, do not see one new politician coming on board with a platform that says, first and foremost, hey, people, if we don't save the earth, we've got nothing to live on. And all of this is just surrounded by huge dollar signs. I'm going to ask you, as a single citizen, I feel nothing but anxiety and frustration, but what can I do? There's a big question. What do individuals do? Yeah, that that is a big question. And to address the first part real quick, I think that I, I agree that I wish this were a more high-profile issue in the media and in uh, the politics that we hear on campaign trails. I will say, though, there have been major laws passed that have been bipartisan laws that have included climate. In just the last five years, we've seen the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. The That one wasn't bipartisan, but bipartisan ones. The Fiscal Responsibility Act included climate, the Infrastructure Bill, Great American Outdoors Act, Nuclear Energy Leadership Act, BEST Act, Use It Act. So there is stuff going on that is finding common ground on climate, and we just don't hear about it. And so to talk about climate anxiety, if this stuff got more news coverage, I think that would help a lot. The U.S. has actually cut emissions by like 16 to 20 percent since it peaked in 2005. And Really? Yeah, today, wow. uh, renewable energy comp- comprises about 20% of our electric grid. Nuclear comprises another 20%. This is all carbon-free energy. So there has been a lot that's happened that we just don't hear about. You, you know, it, two things. Number one, the the field of endeavor I was in as my career for most of my adult life was fashion. When mm-hmm. fast fashion came in, it never occurred to me that my industry would be a major polluter of mother earth and it's just like you buy stuff you wear it a few times it starts to fall apart you throw it in the closet it goes somewhere never occurred to me that all of that would be mountains mount everest of of trash that was in no way going to help the planet the other thing that really shocked me For QVC, I did international television all over Europe and Australia and Canada. I got a chance to do China, QVC open in China. So it was out of Beijing. I go to Beijing. And I say to somebody, why are all these giant fields covered in, does everybody play tennis in China? It looked like these giant tennis um, constructs, temporary constructs. And they said, no, the children of Beijing cannot be outdoors and play because it's like acid rain all the time. And they have to be indoors and protected. And as a matter of fact, it's it's one of the big reasons why I decided not to do TV in China. I would have to travel there. The, the car situation, it was the worst traffic jam 24 hours a day. And you were breathing in all these fumes and eyes tearing. I don't want to see that. 
as our future. But I do know that one major country that has not reduced emissions is China. So if you have a major power like America reducing emissions somewhat, and you have China, a gigantic country actually increasing emissions, what? Well, where do we come out? Net zero? Yeah, well, I actually wrote an op-ed about this in Newsweek last ah. month, which I would encourage folks to check out. But uh, what my point there was is, first off, there are a lot of positive things even going on in China. Uh, China is on track to kind of level off its emissions by around 2025 and then start to come down. Um, they, for better or worse, are the world leader in solar manufacturing. And uh, there's some human rights issues with that that we've explored on our podcast. But uh, they certainly have seen just an economic opportunity to get into this stuff. Um, ah. But the other point that I made is the kind of why should we do something if China and India won't argument gets India. It, it's, yeah. it's based on the idea that climate action is a sacrifice. And that's not true. Yes, action, you are so right. Yeah. Climate action can improve economies, help our health, help justice, help security, um, and just make our lives better if we do it in a smart way. Uh, there's tons of solutions like solar, wind, nuclear, uh, better public transit, more efficient shipping, more efficient buildings, more efficient appliances, uh, curbing fluorinated gas emissions. These are things that save money as compared to the alternative. In the U.S., there's, I think, around 410 coal plants. And for only one of them, would it not be cheaper to shut down that coal plant and build a solar or wind farm than to continue running the coal plant? So The other thing, yeah, and I just want to come into that with one thing that, that I was studying, which is labor force pre-COVID, post-COVID. So they were saying yesterday on CNN that only 48% maximum of corporations in America are demanding and actually getting their workers back five days a week. So now it's the three and two combo. Monday and Friday at home, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in the office at most. How is that affecting climate change? I would think that would be a huge positive. It is. Remote work does help the environment because you avoid that transportation uh both emissions and also cost for people. So it's, again, helping the environment and helping people save money. And in fact, I've seen broadband internet be described as a climate solution because if you can help rural communities access the internet, they can get remote jobs. And then, again, they they lose that transportation. So I would love to see climate not be a partisan issue. But when you do have one individual running for office and their mantra is drill, 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 frack, frack, frack. That honestly creates incredible anxiety in me. Um, and don't you think that there honestly must be better choices than that? I think that it's, First off, it's interesting because 
Um, there actually were some climate things that got done in the Trump administration and emissions came down. Uh, so he didn't deliver on that promise. Uh, coal did not come back, I can promise you. Um, and in fact, I think, uh, yeah, so um, it's really, it's better to have politicians who care about the climate and that can come from any political ideology, clean air, clean water, and a healthy environment, I agree, should not be a partisan thing. And almost everyone I meet agrees on that much. Um, but it's it's not possible to bring coal back. It's too expensive. And what I care about is people who are put out of work because of the coal industry's demise, how can we help them get new jobs and maybe yeah. work in uh, this new uh, clean energy, clean tech world? So well, that, that's what I'd like to see. I, I know that we're talking about clean energy, clean tech, and I know we're talking about how do you create job replacement for coal miners. But the other thing I wonder is how and here's something, here's a, a zinger from out of nowhere. How is AI going to affect climate change? Because they think up to 48% of the workforce in the next 20 years will be replaced by AI. So you're not going to have these huge traffic jams on the highway. You're not going to have all those emissions However, you're going to have a lot of people wondering how they're going to support themselves. What do you think AI can do or will do for climate change? I think it's a two-sided coin. On the one hand, there are lots of climate solutions that can employ AI. I think I read about like these AI robots that can go underwater and like help coral reefs and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, first off, AI requires a tremendous amount of energy to run, as does a lot of just data centers and computing things. Uh, if you can run that on clean energy, great. But anytime you create more demand for energy, you need to fill that demand uh, yeah. somehow. Um, and the other thing that we uh, we did an episode on AI and something that our expert brought to our attention is you can... I know AI is starting to be used to uh, identify people out in public, and you could theoretically have countries look at uh, climate protests and be like, hey, that person is uh, at this protest and we don't like that. There are countries Ooh. that uh, will uh, go after people who participate in these sorts of things. So that's a big concern, too. I'm always first and foremost for wow. free speech, even if I don't always agree. So that that's I one of the downsides thinking. as well. But yeah. ultimately, in terms of the greater economy, I would hope that AI isn't wiping out jobs so much as it's creating new opportunities to have better jobs. And I don't know if that will happen, obviously, but I think every time there's a new technological advancement, uh, we fear that it's going to just wreck everything. Um, but often it can it can actually enhance our life. But AI is scary. I get it. I share some of that sentiment. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah. What what I always see, and and I'm going to talk about this with elected politicians, 
Is they come in so late on the game? You're so stressed out. You're going to hold all these congressional meetings over AI. But guess what, people? It's already here. And global warming is all so obviously already here. And we talk about the economy constantly. But until we can figure out a way to take all these weather disasters and turn them around and make them a positive, they are going to drain the money out of any government. And, you know, when I look at it as just a single practitioner, just a solo citizen of the um, planet, I think everybody I talk to, and I want to talk about global warming, Rather than having them get more aware, they just say, why do you want to talk about something you can't do anything about? I don't want to talk about, I don't want to think about it, or I'm already old enough, I'm not going to be here when it turns into a total mess. Hello, people. Number one, it's already a total mess. And second of all, you've got to think, if you're older like me, legacy. And I think back to one of um, the favorite movies ever of my lifetime, the original Blade Runner. And I think to myself, especially on those days, and you lived in Connecticut, so you got them too, where we had those Canadian wildfires. And the middle of the day looked like some murky, weird sunset, twilight, eternal twilight. And I'm thinking to myself, some of these movies, like that Ridley Scott movie, Blade Runner, they were honestly so ahead of their time. I mean, and here we are living it. Keep your windows closed. Keep your doors closed. Wear a mask if you're over 60. So I ask you this, even with all of that going on, people say, Diane, you're so depressing. I don't want to talk about it. Really? How? And I think your podcast, The Sweaty Penguin, this is sort of the ethos of your podcast, is to make it palatable and somehow light enough that the public can actually absorb because the profundity and the hugeness of a global warming reality, which is upon us, um, it's too much to absorb. It just is. So talk to me about Sweaty Penguin. Yeah. Uh, That's a, a lot title. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Sweaty Penguin is a comedy climate podcast. We work to make climate change less overwhelming, less politicized, and more fun. Uh, how we do that is a few ways. First off, humor and not the, oh, no, we're all going to die jokes that I see, but actually uh, finding what uh, can be made fun about the climate conversation. Okay, so tell me, I want to hear a fun joke about climate. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think it's uh, not really knock knock jokes, but I, I can share like a fun story, I guess. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, one I share a lot. One of our episodes was on succulents and succulents actually are 
uh, threatened by climate change. Uh, there are many endangered succulents, uh, but succulents also, there are people who want to buy rare succulents and they they feel that if they have it and own it, they're protecting it. In reality, it's just taking them out of their natural environment so their seeds can't spread. Um, but they're willing to spend up to like $1,000 on the black market for these rare succulents. And we found a story where there was a woman, I think in New Zealand, who got caught in the airport smuggling like... 900 succulents and seeds on her body going through security. Um, I, I was just imagining being on an airplane fighting for the armrest with this person. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that that's the kind of thing that we run into all the time. And it can it can give us a moment to laugh. How did you get the title? You said your father came up with the title, The Sweaty Penguin? Yeah, my dad came up with it initially. I uh, wanted to have something that both spoke to climate change, but also spoke to the fact that we were trying to be funny. So I think that was the perfect name. Okay. So, and, and I get it. Sweaty penguins when they're not supposed to be sweating, but all the Arctic ice is breaking away and melting. As an individual, I will tell you, I feel very angry angry at the politicians. I feel they're just completely wasting my tax money and my time and my quality of life. And between the anger and the frustration and the fear, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a different kind of existence than it was before. You know, it's like, well, there isn't enough to worry about. Now I have to worry about the climate. And the problem is you are worrying about something that as an individual, you can really, at least to me, not do much about, if anything. So tell me, number one, how you find hope and optimism in this all. But as a person, just a regular old citizen, how do people feel that they can help start moving that immovable wall of, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, humor is where we start, but where I think we hold people and make that difference is talking about solutions and talking about progress uh, to bring up those wildfires that you mentioned. I remember the movie Don't Look Up came out and I was very critical oh. saying like, we're not just going to look in the sky one day and be like, hey, look, it's climate change. And then what do you know? That's exactly what happens. <laughs> um, but what what I said at the time, and I wrote an op-ed for the Hartford Current here in Connecticut, um, basically, we it is a serious issue. Climate change is driving it. We need to talk about that. We also need to talk about solutions. 85% of wildland fires in the U.S. are caused by human stupidity. Things like no. leaving cigarettes on the ground, unattended campfires, uh, faulty hot tub wiring, using your lawnmowers at the wrong time. Uh, these are things that can be fixed so easily by people just not being stupid. 
Um, beyond that, there are plenty of solutions like thinning forests, removing brush. Um, even at the political level, we talked about uh, the National Environmental Policy Act is the law that governs the environmental permitting process. Uh, it's done a lot of good. It also means that it can take like four years to get a forest management project approved. And we don't have oh. four years. Sometimes yeah. there's a wildfire the next summer. So yeah. there's a lot of stuff like that that I think we can find common ground on and we can address wildfires even in a changing climate. So that's that's one example. But overall, we see the cost of solar has come down 85% in the last decade, onshore wind wow. by 55%, batteries for EVs by 85%. Uh, globally, going back to... The time the Paris Agreement was signed in 2015, the world was on track to warm by four degrees Celsius, which would be very bad. Today, we're down to about 2.5 degrees Celsius, which so, is sort of bad. Which is bad, which is still bad, but not but very, a lot very better bad. than four. <laughs> and, and we can keep bringing that number down. So, I, I think that's where I find hope. I see that there's progress happening. I see that there are very common sense economical solutions out there. And I think we can do that. But, you know, where where I and, and my worry just and it's my nature, it's my personality to always be worried about something, fussing about something. But one thing, two things, I think the majority of Americans where we live are reality. Look at the Gen Z's who are into climate marches and Greta and and they just think a bunch of troublemaking weirdos where I'm thinking, yay, Greta, yay, go for it. And even Greta says, I'm taking a year off. I'm exhausted by all of this. Um what what drives me nuts and and this is kind of the final question is um people say two things, and maybe you can counter each of them. The first is, I can't do anything about it. It's so huge, I can't even wrap my brain around it. And the other thing is, oh, don't be ridiculous. That's never going to happen. That's not going to happen here. I think Americans, and, and I see this in just the way Americans take care of their bodies, like eat fast food junk and then take Ozempic and put a needle in your stomach and everything will be okay. I think Americans are very loath to work, actually work for massive change, even in your own body as you age. They just expect, like, we're Americans, we're number one, it's going to happen. But how do you turn people's denial and inertia into positive action, even if it's just one person at a time? How do you do it, Ethan? I think it's a lot of meeting people where they're at and listening to them and finding out what would make their life better. 
the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change took 43 categories of climate solutions and compared them to the 17 uh, UN Sustainable Development Goals. These are things like and world hunger and poverty, gender equality, uh, innovation, uh, clean water, things that everyone can get behind and we want to see oh, happen yeah. in the world. Yeah. So, so they compared these climate solutions with these sustainable development goals and looked, are there synergies, are there trade-offs, or are there a combination? And they found of like 400-something combinations, only 12 were pure trade-offs. 200-something uh, were synergies, some were a combination, but only 12 were pure trade-offs, which means any goal that we have can be addressed through climate solutions. So wow. I think that's awesome. And that's why I feel like I can meet too. people where they're at and hear what they want to see happen and then say, but hey, look, here's... Have, people yeah. have to know that that reality actually exists. Yeah. 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 And, and for that, I think it's... Again, building trust, talking through the science. I know we didn't get to do that today, but you can go step by step and say, all right, here's how the greenhouse effect works. Here's why carbon dioxide molecules absorb infrared radiation and why that happens. We can talk about why that greenhouse effect leads to extreme weather, uh, in more intense hurricanes, more intense wildfires, heat waves. Uh, we can go through all of that. And I think, uh, but beyond that, talking about the solutions because once you see that there are viable solutions that you yourself can get behind then the problem doesn't seem so scary then you can grow to accept it and yeah. then we can move forward and so uh, you know shame on the politicians because they never talk about it it's not a sexy issue it's just a huge massive 1600 pound gorilla in the room issue. If you had to give everyone listening to this podcast one piece of advice that made them feel like they could just move the needle a fraction of an inch, but if we all do it, it's going to be consequential. What would that one final piece of advice be? Uh, I'd have a few, but my biggest one would be to talk to somebody you disagree with. And it doesn't even have to be about climate. It can be about anything you want. If we can be more comfortable having those conversations, you don't have to be friends, but just understand where people are coming from, why they tick the way they do. We can move forward so much better. I, I was just talking to a friend last night. I, I swear, I think 80% of the country just quietly agrees on everything but doesn't talk about it. Wow. Um, and I, I think the most extreme people tend to be the most loud people. But the yeah. more we have those conversations, uh, the more we can move things forward. And on climate, the more we find common ground. We've... We used to do a thing where we would bring on a liberal student and a conservative student. They'd listen to a past episode and then talk about it. And I found they'd always come away agreeing on solutions to the problem. So really just opening those doors, having those conversations, it can make a big difference. Incredible. And and I leave you with this. Um, it was always my dream, even as a kid, to have... A beautiful apartment overlooking Central Park. That was my whole thing in life. And I was lucky enough to be able to achieve that. 
it never once occurred to me within those dreams that about four times, about four times last year and the year before, tornado warnings, serious tornado warnings where I was told through whatever service I get, go shelter yourself in a windowless room. And this is Manhattan, New York City. If you, if you don't believe in climate change, all you need to do is see in a major urban area like the Northeast New York, who ever thought that we would actually have tornadoes on our mind. But that to me was the clearest form. Yeah. See and also learn and think for yourself and understand why these things are happening. Tornadoes are actually one of the most confusing and confounding things for climate scientists because on the one hand, we understand that uh, first off, just heat is energy. So when you have more uh, warm weather that can create more winds, uh, it also leads to more evaporation of water, which can lead to stronger rainfall. Um, but at the same time, we've seen tornadoes haven't exactly just gotten more intense linearly or anything. We've seen them shift a little east. We've seen them shift to different times of year. And we don't quite know why. And so there are a lot of questions left in climate science and being able to think critically and trust that here's what we know, here's what we still have to figure out, and here's what we can do given that we do know that this is a serious issue. We know a lot more about yeah. hurricanes and wildfires and heat waves than we do tornadoes. For so, me, yeah. as just a citizen, a concerned citizen, Tornadoes equal climate change, equal scariness, equal help, some (laughs) solution. So here's the point. I think that you are creating a service that is so desperately needed. You take on a gigantic and really concerning issue with clarity and science, and I'm not a very scientific girl, so I'm sorry we didn't get to all the science of it today. Um, that is for me. <laughs> and, and through that clarity and a bit of humor as well, we come to some solutions. And so I want to thank you so, so much for taking the time to come on my podcast, because for us, and uh, we try to focus on the over 50 audience, although we get a lot of younger um, people as well. But for us, where we've grown up in a kind of atmosphere where climate was never really an issue, unless it was day by day, oh, it rained a lot today, or oh, it didn't. I think that older people are even more like, holy moly, what is going on? So I hope that we actually a lot of few fears, and we gave you someone, a destination person in Ethan Brown, to go to with his podcast, Sweaty Penguin, when you have those kind of questions and you feel you need to be anchored with reasonable answers. Ethan, thank you so much. And again, I love your bow tie as a fashionista. (laughs) 
Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much for having me. And you are the best person to receive a fashion compliment from. So I appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to Too Young to Be Old podcast. The episode may be over, but the fun doesn't have to stop here. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at The Diane Gilman. Or visit our website, thedianegilman.com. If you like the show, leave us a rating or a review. And subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And until then, don't forget, age is just a number. Together, we'll prove that we are all too young to be old. <laughs>